welcome to the GUT Podcast. I'm Mary McLean, Senior Lecturer and Consultant in Gastroenterology at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland, UK, and in my capacity as Education Editor, I'm hosting this podcast today. This month I'm discussing the Editor's Choice Manuscript from the November 2016 issue entitled Antibiotics as Deep Modulators of Gut Microbiota Between Good and Evil. I'm delighted to welcome one of the authors, Dr. Gianluca Yaniro, here today, um, and he is based in the Agostino Gemelli University Hospital in Rome in Italy. Um, thanks for joining the podcast today. Thank you. First of all, uh, uh, hello to the, all the readers of GUT. Uh, basically, uh, we know that uh, the bacteria are the most represented members of the human gut microbiota with more than 1,000 species, most of which are anaerobes. Uh, we know, anyway, that uh, gut virome and gut mycome uh, are increasingly uh, having a uh, role in pathogenesis of several disorders, for example, IBD and in health. Anyway, uh, the, most of the data that we have now are on the bacteria. Uh, the majority of bacteria identified in human stools uh, belong to the bacteriolitis and Firmicutes phyla. And they are the most relevant contributors in the, uh, all the function of microbiota-dependent tasks, including the regulation of uh, metabolic pathways, the barrier action, or the consolidation of the immune system. When uh, uh, Alexander Fleming uh, discovered the penicillin, uh, it was a breakthrough because the Eastern medicine changed as uh, uh, a billion of lives were, were saved after the discovery of antibiotics. And uh, uh, we call it the antibiotic revolution. Several decades after, uh, the development of the omics technologies uh, based on deep sequencing of gut microbiota allowed the assessment of microbiota composition and function. And uh, uh, this laid the groundwork uh, to the, a new approach of microbial components of our body that is called the microbiota revolution. So all the disorders, uh, a lot of disorders uh, in the human uh, beings are now associated with changes of gut microbiota. And in several cases, uh, we can treat microbiota, we can modulate microbiota to cure some disorders. So what are the effects of antibiotics on gut microbial composition? Okay. Uh, we know that antibiotics are no longer but also potentially harmful agents as increasing evidence supports the correlation between their uh, overuse and the development of disorders associated with the microbiotic impairment. Uh, we know that most of antibiotics available on the market have a broad spectrum of action, so they impact not only on harmful bacteria but also on healthy ones. Other mechanisms of action include a direct harmful effect of antibiotics on the GI epithelia and also the spread of antibiotic-resistant microbes. Anyway, uh, we know that uh, antibiotics can act also positively on gut microbiota, providing the so-called eubiotic effect. For example, rifaximin, which is a poorly exobable antibiotic, is known to increase the abundance of Fecalibacterium prosmici, which is uh, an anti-inflammatory bacteria and butyrate producer, which is reduced, for example, in IBD, and uh, also increase uh, the abundance of lactobacilli. So in this case, antibiotic can uh, um, act positively on the microbial composition. 
So what drug and host factors contribute to this effect? Oh, there are several factors that influence the effect of antibiotics on gut microbiota, and uh, there are drug factors and host factors. Among the drug factors, we include the class, the pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, the range of action, the dosage, the duration, and also the administration route. For example, uh, the vancomycin exerts uh, some effect on uh, microbiota composition if given by mouth. Among the host uh, factors, there are several ones, for example, the age, the lifestyle, and the microbiota composition at, before uh, the antibiotic regimen. For example, elderly people uh, react uh, in a different way than young people, for example, uh, to antibiotics in terms of gut microbiota changes. So you offer Clostridium difficile infection as an example of a clinical model of antibiotic-driven dysbiosis. So tell us more about this. C. difficile infection usually comes up as a complication of antibiotic therapy because uh, the antibiotic therapy destroys all the healthy bacteria and the C. difficile uh, can rise up. Uh, we know that antibiotic exposure can promote the development of CDI through several pathways. Uh, first, an antibiotic-dependent alteration of the microbiota. Then, uh, changes in the metabolic function of microbiota may promote the development of uh, C. diff infection. Moreover, production of C. difficile toxin is regulated through quorum signaling, and uh, antibiotic-dependent depletion of other microbiota members can provide opportunity for C. diff to spread and express its virulence factors. Finally, it is a bilacid-dependent uh, pathway, because in health, we know that some primary bilacid do not undergo uptake and can be found in the large bowel. Here, the colicacid is able to promote the growth of CDs, while the secondary bilacid derived from microbial-dependent deoxylation of primary bilacid can counteract this effect by inhibiting the germination of CD spores. Therefore, antibiotics may enhance the growth of CDs by dependent bacteria that they deoxylate bilacid, such as Clostridium shinnans, uh, which was shown to be, have a protective role against Clostridium difficile infection. So there is increasing evidence that the gut microbiota is involved in the pathogenesis of non-infective gastrointestinal and extraintestinal pathologies, and your paper talks through several of these in turn. So firstly, let's consider inflammatory bowel disease. What is currently known on the, of the changes in gut microbiota associated with IBD, and can antibiotic exposure impact this in a positive or negative capacity? We know that the microbiota of patients with IBD goes through several qualitative and qualitative alterations. We know first that there is a decrease in bacterial diversity and a higher bacterial instability in patients with IBD compared with healthy controls. The most common changes in the bacterium of Patients with IBD include at film level an increase in proteobacteria, so inflammatory bacteria, and a decrease in firmicutes. And uh, among the proteobacteria, an increase in Enterobacteriaceae family, and uh, in particular in pathogenic Escherichia coli, is most notable. Based on these findings, antibiotics have been suggested to play a direct role in the development of IBD through the leading of dysbiosis and reduced, reduced bacterial diversity. But 
in contrast, there are several therapeutic pathways through which antibiotics can change positively the natural course of IBD, including the reduction of luminal bacteria. But at the moment, antibiotics are suggested by the current uh, uh, EACCOO guideline for ulcerative colitis only in the case of infection complication or uh, before uh, surgical interventions. Let's move on to IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. Are there any data available to implicate the microbiota in the pathogenesis of IBS? And again, how can antibiotic use impact this? Okay. We know that microbiota is involved in the development of IBS through several pathways. First, we know that a considerable rate of patients, up to 30%, experience the so-called post-infectious IBS, especially if it happened during early life when microbiota is still not consolidated. Uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth uh, also has been suggested to play a role in the development of IBS symptoms, uh, although the issue is controversial. And finally, we have an actual support of this hypothesis through uh, the success of several therapeutic modulators of microbiota that have success even in IBS, including dietary advices, antibiotics, and probiotics. We know that antibiotics are able to interfere with the natural history of IBS in two ways. First, we know that antibiotics can uh, impair that microbiota and lead to dysbiosis and uh, then uh, to IBS. And uh, these are data from Leach called cohort in case control studies. And uh, uh, on the other way, we know that uh, there are uh, some poorly associable antibiotics, for example, rifaximin, that uh, are useful and uh, successful therapy for IBS symptoms. And uh, we know also that rifaximin is uh, able to increase the fecalic bacterium prosmici in patients with IBS. So it's now well recognized that the gut microbiota plays a role in the pathogenesis of obesity and related disorders. So can you summarize the evidence base for this? First of all, we know that gut microbiota plays a relevant role in restoring and spending diet-derived energy. And uh, anyway, uh, we know that the microbiota in obesity has a fingerprint because it is represented by a shift um, of the finicutes and bacteriodetes ratio, uh, which is called the adiposity index because the finicutes rise up and the bacteriodetes comes down. And uh, moreover, a decrease in beta diversity together with a reduction of anti-inflammatory bacteria, for example, uh, Fecalibacterium prosnitsi, and an increase in uh, pro-inflammatory bacteria are, were observed in obese patients. And uh, we remember that obesity uh, is a kind of low-grade inflammation status. Beyond obesity, gut microbiota is altered uh, also in other disorders associated with the metabolic imbalance, for example, diabetes uh, or the um, NASH. And uh, uh, according to the administration of high or low dosages, respectively, antibiotics were shown to be able to, uh, to, to drive either to underweight to the deep demolition of microbiota or to overweight by development of cell activity dysbiosis. 
So lastly, can you describe the current views on the role of the microbiota and antibiotic exposure in liver disease? We know that a large part of the blood directed to the liver comes from the gut. So it's quite obvious that our gut liver axis exists. We know that microbiota is, is known to play a role uh, in the development of uh, liver disorders. For example, uh, uh, it produces endogenous alcohol and contributes to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And we know that uh, patients with liver cirrhosis have an increase in pro-inflammatory bacteria, for example, Enterobacteria TA, and a decrease in beneficial bacteria, for example, bifidobacteria. We know also that, that there are some therapeutic modulators of microbiota which are used in uh, uh, complications of uh, liver cirrhosis, for example, uh, rifaximin, which is used in the, against the overt uh, uh, hepatic encephalopathy, and this is the proof that uh, the microbiota of the uh, patient with liver disorders is um, diseases, and that we can counteract this effect through uh, therapeutic modulators of microbiota. So to summarize, what are the take-home messages of the paper? We know that for better and worse, antibiotics are shown to be able to affect the microbiota composition and uh, uh, consequently to lead uh, to clinical manifestations, either with a new biotic effect or with a dysbiotic effect. So the modulation of microbiota should be considered a new therapeutic avenue to be used not only for infectious disorders, but also for non-infectious disorders associated with the impairment of microbiota. Anyway, antibiotics should be considered as a double-edged sword since they overuse can drive to harmful clinical consequences. So a wise use of antibiotics in clinical practice uh, is advocated for a better management of patients with disorders related to the impairment of gut microbiota. So how do you think this field will evolve in the future and impact on clinical practice? You know, I think that we are just at the beginning of the story because uh, from one side, we uh, are, are going to know that antibiotics can also act badly, negatively, not only positively. So we are going to change our view of antibiotics. So we are uh, uh, even uh, decreasing our request of antibiotics and our uh, uh, therapy with antibiotics in our patients at first. The other side, we know that some antibiotics, especially the fully absorbable antibiotics, can modulate gut microbiota. We know that modulation of gut microbiota in a therapeutic way can improve the symptoms and the, the microbiota of our patients. So we can use some antibiotics to modulate so, uh, the microbiota. So just a therapeutic modulators of microbiota, so uh, beyond the probiotics and fecal transplantation. So uh, we should try to learn how to use it in the proper way. So finally, the use of antibiotics is known to increase bacterial resistance. And in fact, there are now several superbugs emerging. So can you speculate on any implications of this emerging resistance on GI disease? a very important burden on GI disorders because, you know, the more uh, we give anti uh, blood patterns and antibiotics, the more we develop superbugs resistant to every antibiotics. Anyway, 
uh, we can counteract this effect and we should counteract this effect in two ways. First of all, at the beginning of the story. So please uh, prescribe less antibiotics if they are not useful or, or if, if they are not necessary. So this is called the antibiotic stewardship. At the end of the story, we can modulate the microbiota against the resistant uh, pathogens, uh, against multi-resistant pathogens. For example, with fecal microbiota transplantation, uh, there are some results, but we are uh, uh, just at the beginning, so uh, make, uh, better data and uh, much more data are advocated. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd just like to thank Dr. Gianluca Yaniro for joining me today. Thank you very much.